Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number nine. The last few weeks we've been speaking about Hakaratatov and how critical and essential it is for life and for living with Simha. Without Hakaratatov, there cannot be any Simha. However, having this Midah of Hakaratatov is easier said than done. Which means that even if we would walk out of a class and intellectually realize that yes, so much good we have in our lives. We're not really deserving of anything. Gifts are constantly being thrown our way. We were born, we have parents. At least we had parents. We had a home. If we got married, if we had children, if we had one child, two children, maybe more. Obviously, intellectually, as we think about life and think about ourselves and the bigger picture, we realize that we deserve nothing. And everything that we get is just a gift, another gift, another gift. So clearly, there's so much hakaratato, intellectually. But like many things and many midot, just because intellectually you think that something is true, it doesn't mean that you're actually going to live by that truth. A person could know intellectually that humility is the way to live. That doesn't make them humble. Humility is a midah that requires a lot of training. A lot of different things a person must do for a long time to acquire a real life midah of humility, not just the intellectual one. So knowing that we should have hakaratatov doesn't do the job. It's definitely a good start. You go to a class, you learn, you walk out saying, you know something? Yes, he's right. I have so much to be thankful for. But habit has a way of bringing us right back to where we were before we came in. So therefore there must be some sort of rehabilitation. You forgive me, I don't mean to make you all sick, but we're all in this together. You need rehab. Teaching someone how to walk, again, is not enough. They have to start walking again. And they have to do things today, tomorrow, the next day. And through different types of training of the muscles, a person could start walking again. Walking is not an intellectual issue. It's a real life issue that a person must learn physically how to walk. 
And so too, our habits of entitlement, our habits of not having hakarat hatov as much as we should, is definitely the wall that we need to climb. So we must have some training. The training isn't going to be always as obvious as you might think. And today is going to be an example of that. I'm going to open with a Midrash. The Midrash on a well-known Pasuk in Tehillim, the Pasuk says, Hodu ladonai kitob, ki le'olam hasdo, which means, thank Hashem, hodu l'Hashem, kitob, because He's good, ki le'olam hasdo, which means His kindness is always, which means, different than sometimes our kindness is based on time. Some people do kindness at two, but they can't do it at three. Sometimes we're in the mood to do kindness, sometimes we're not. Le'olam hasdo means it's always, the door's always open for kindness. So comes the Midrash to explain the seemingly simple bazook. The Midrash says, what does it mean? Hodu Lashem Kito. Thank Hashem because He's good. Says the Midrash that Hodu Lashem, we find other Pesukim that are similar to this. For example, Pesuk says, Tov Lehodot Lashem. It's good to thank Hashem. And it brings a few other Pesukim. I'm not going to go through them. And then the Midrash says, Omer, I'll give you another example of Hodu. Pasuk says, Someone who admits their wrongdoing and they stop doing the wrong thing after they admit, they will be given compassion. When reading this Midrash, the first thing you think when you read it is there might, there might have been a typo. Something went wrong in this Midrash. Because the word hodu or hoda'a in Hebrew has two meanings. The word hoda'a could mean thank you. And the word hoda'a could mean I admit that I did wrong. Hodu Lashem Kitov clearly is talking about a person who is thanking. Hodu Lashem, thank Hashem. Why would the Midrash, quoting similar type of Pesukim, quote one that has nothing to do with thanking? is not a person who says thank you. It's a person who says, I'm sorry, I am at fault, I admit, it's my fault. That's not what Hodul Hashem Kitov means. So why is it being brought here to explain the Pasuk? Seems to be offline. You're coming to explain the word thanks, and you bring a Pasuk that's talking about admitting the wrongdoing of a person. It must be 
that these two words, although we say they have two different meanings, but it must be that essentially it's one and the same. It's not by accident that in the Hebrew language, the word to say thank you and the word to appreciate what I have when someone gives me something, it's not by accident that they're the exact same word. In Hebrew, we, in English, we say thank somebody and admit two different words. But in God's language, they found the same word to explain two ideas. It's not because they ran out of words. Must be that they're one and the same. What does admitting my wrongdoing, what does standing up here and saying I'm wrong have to do with saying to my wife, thank you, or to my creator, thank you, I really appreciate all that you do for me. What's the connection? The connection is that in order for a person to stand up and to say that they are wrong, they have to have a strong sense of midat ha'emet. They have to have a sense of honesty and truth. Because standing up and saying that you're wrong is not easy. And if you're able to do that, it means you have a gevura, there's a strength about you that the emet, the truth is so important to you that you're willing to exercise your strength to say the truth. I made a mistake. I was wrong. Most people can't do that. And hakarat hatov is also based on emet. Because in truth, when I realize that I'm getting something that I don't deserve, I don't deserve life. I don't deserve health. I don't deserve anything. And then I'm getting it for free. That's a difficult pill to swallow. That means that everything I have is bechesed. Everything I have is pure kindness. How many people here would like to eat? from the bread of another person? How many people would like to eat being supported by somebody else's charity? Would you like every day to go and collect some money so you can make dinner from somebody else? You'd say, no, I don't like that. Why not? You're eating the same. No, it's embarrassing. I, I, want, it, like, I want it from me. I want to do it. I want to cook my own food. I want to have my own money. I, I don't want to live off somebody else's charity. Well, guess what? When you realize that everything you're getting is charity, it's real charity. You're God's charity case. So subconsciously, even if you don't consciously think about it, subconsciously, you really don't want to admit that you're getting something for nothing. You really don't want to admit that you're God's charity cause because it doesn't feel good in certain ways. So you'd like to avoid it. So besides our habits not really helping us, 
from the time that we were little and unappreciative, there's also a strong underlying current that's swimming against us, that doesn't want us to feel indebted, doesn't want to make us feel a charity case. We'd much rather feel like we're the one doing it. What do you mean? I'm the one making money. I'm the one that's eating healthy and therefore I'm healthy. I'm the one that's exercising and therefore I look the way I look. I'm the one who thought of that great idea. I'm the one who's making this house run. I'm the one who has these great children. I am the one and I am the one and I am the one. We like to feel like we're the ones because it makes us feel like we're taking care of ourselves. We're independents. We don't rely on anybody. Midat ha'emet. If you have a strong sense of this characteristic of truth, then you'll be able to get up and say yes. Whatever I have is really kindness. I'll say it in not as nice words. I'm a charity case. I really am. God gave me life. I, I really couldn't make it on my own. I couldn't even afford it if he asked me, but he gave me charity, he gave me life, and he gave me health, and he gave me eyes, and he gave me legs, and he gave me all charity. Not a great feeling. You know, we talk about God's kindness. That sounds much nicer. God is so kind to us, so kind, so kind. But when you're talking that you're the charity case, not so kind. You don't feel good about it. But the midat emet within you, if you have it, gets up and says, what do you mean? That's the truth. The truth is I am. I am a charity case. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to say that because that is the emet. So admitting the truth and admitting that you're a charity case is one and the same. And to have hakarata tov, you must have that. We find this connection clearly. If not the midrash I brought you, there's a midrash that screams pretty loud what I just told you. So we know that Yehuda, when Yaakov Avinu in next week's parasha is going to bless his children before he leaves the world. So the first three went pretty rough, to say the least. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, each one got hit over the head basically for something that was not right by them. And the Midrash says that Yehuda, once he heard what their father had to say to these great brothers of his, they were great people, but they still got hammered. He, he says, he wanted to hide. He wanted just to go away. Because he also had something on his record. It's not like he was clean. He had the story of Tamar. He had some wrongdoing, some embarrassing moments in his life. Baruch Hashem, they don't judge us like this. Imagine each one of us is going to be judged for one embarrassing moment in our lives. That's what happened to Reuven. 
for one thing he did. They're still remembering what he did. Years later, Levi and Shimon, Yehuda said, well, I always have a thing. I got this embarrassing situation. I'd rather not hear. Let me, let me stay out of this. But he couldn't. The Pasuk says, Yehuda. Yaakov says, listen, Yehuda. Ata, you're not like them. Why? But I also had a moment, an embarrassing moment. Ata, yoducha, ahecha. He says, you, your brothers will acknowledge you. Meaning you will be the king, you will be the leader of this great nation. You. Why, says the Midrash? Because you, although you did something wrong, when you were put to the test, you stood up and you said, she is right. I made a mistake. You didn't make excuses. You publicly stood up and admitted your wrongdoing when you could have easily figured out a way to get out of it. You could have, even saved, you could have saved Tamar's life and made an excuse why she's not really guilty. But Yehuda stood up and he admitted he was modeh. Says Yaakov, for that, you will become the leader of this nation. A person who could stand up and be modeh like that, he deserves to be a melech. So I think all of us heard this before. What you may not have heard is the Midrash on the Pasuk where Leah, the mother of Yehuda, when she had Yehuda, this was her fourth child. There were four wives to Yaakov Avinu. The Meth would say that if he's going to have 12 children, so each one will get three. When she had a fourth, she realized that she got more than she thought she would deserve. So the Pasuk says, she says, Vatomer, when she had Yehuda, she says, this time, Hapa'am ode et Adonai. This time I have special thanks for Hashem. He gave me not just what everybody else is getting, I'm getting more. This time, I have special hoda'ah, special thanks. Nice. Comes the Midrash and says, because le'ah imenu, because this was her attitude when Yehuda was born, says she was zocheh, that her children would have the same midah. Where do we see by her children, that they have this midah of Le'ah. Says the Midrash, Kederech shehoda Le'ah hodu baneha. The same way she was moda, her children also were moda. Where? Says the Midrash, Yehuda. Hoda bema'ase tamar. Yehuda admitted his wrongdoing by the story of Tamar. And again, you say to the Baal Midrash, wait, 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 time out. I think you mixed up the wrong words. By Le'ah, she wasn't modeh. She didn't admit anything. She thanked Hashem. What do you mean the same way? She was modeh. So too, her children were modeh. That's not 
the same. Continues the Midrash, in case you think it's a mistake. And says, David. He brings David. By David, it gets it right. It says, It brings that pasuk to thank Hashem. So it brings two examples of Le'ash children. One example is someone who got up and said, I was wrong. And one example is someone who said, thank you. Says the Midrash, they're one and the same. Again, a clear proof that Hakarat HaTov, David HaMelech, his greatness and his expressions of gratefulness and gratitude came from the Midah, the same Midah of saying, I admit, I am wrong. I was wrong. I'm going to share with you something very beautiful that you will use the Azrat Hashem every single day of your life. When we pray the Amidah, the part of the Amidah that is called Modim, Modim means to thank, there is something in that little tefillah that we need to be aware of and it's going to help us going forward. You see, the word modim, Mervutna says, whenever the word modim is used for admitting wrongdoing, so in Hebrew, it's going to sound something like this. Ani modeh, I admit, share asiti, that I did kach vekach. Ani modeh, she halachti, that I went to the wrong place. Ani modeh, she dibarti, that, that I spoke. So whenever the word modeh is coming to say I admit, the letter following should be she, that. I admit that. However, when the word modeh is coming to thank someone for something. So usually it goes like this. ani al she'asitali ve'alze Thank you for this. Tell your mother. Ani moda, I thank you for this and for this and for that and for that. Called al. So, so again, when the word modim is coming to say, I admit, you have she. When you have to thank, it's al. It's thanking for this and that. So let's go to the modim and the amida. And let's see how it works. So we say, modim anachnulach. Hashem, we... I'm going to leave the explanation. Because it could mean, it could mean, I thank you. Or it could mean, I admit. We don't know. So we see the following words. It says, Modim anachnulach, She'atahu Adonai Eloheinu, Velohe Abotenu Le'olam Vay. Which means, doesn't mean, doesn't mean thank. Doesn't mean thank. We're not thanking him that he is our creator. We are modeh. We admit that you gave us everything. And we have nothing. We deserve nothing from our own. 
you gave us modim i admit she'ata that you are the one who has given me everything i have and i don't deserve any of it now this statement let me tell you what it means because you could say these lines and but what it really means is let's say for example a person has so much Hashem has blessed them with so many gifts but there's one thing that they're missing maybe they want another child and it's not happening Baruch Hashem they have five children but they want one more and they're struggling and they get really down or let's say they're having a hard time getting married well, let's say they're having a hard time in one area in life. It doesn't matter what it is. And the attitude of that person, have you ever heard someone say, why is Hashem doing this to me? Why? I had the worst year. What happened? I wanted a child so badly. Didn't happen. That line of what did Hashem do to me shows that the modim she'ata something's off. But what do you mean why he did that to you? Again, a, a person should pray for more children. But to complain about not having, why are you doing it to me? What do you mean why are you doing it to you? He gave you everything for free. You don't deserve anything. I mean, why is he doing it to you? Imagine going to your neighbor and saying, I don't understand. Why are you not giving me money? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you not giving me money? He looks and says, what? What are you saying? Why should I give you money? What are you talking about? But why are you doing this to me? I don't owe you anything. A person who really understands the words, modim, She'ata means I have everything from you is a gift. I don't deserve anything. I pray for more things. I want you to shower me more. I want to be I want to be able to do more in my life. Yes. But I have no complaints. How can I have complaints when you've given me so much? And I can't ask, why didn't you give me this? What does that mean? You don't deserve anything. Once you ask why God is not giving me this, it means you don't really believe that you don't deserve anything. After that, modim she'atau, you continue reading the modim. It says, Node lecha, we thank you, al hayenu. For our life. Ve'al nishmotenu. And for our souls. Ve'al nisecha. And for all the miracles you do for us. Ve'al nifleotecha ve'tovotecha. All the wonders, all the good. Notice the word al. Nodelecha al. That means modim has a system. It's not just Start, start saying modim. There's a system here. The first part of modim is be modeh. 
Admit, you are a charity case of Hashem. Admit that. Hard to say it, but admit it. Yes, I am the recipient of charity. And once you know that, and once you say that, automatically you're going to thank for this and for that and for this and for so many more things. That's the system of Hakaratatov. You first have to have Hoda'a. You first have to be able to admit that we deserve nothing. If that's the case, we need to learn what it says in Parashat Vayikra. Over there the Torah talks about people in Am Yisrael who by mistake make a sin. Mistake doesn't mean they were totally mistaken. They were negligent. They did something wrong. And when you do something wrong, you got to bring a korban hatat. You got to go with this big animal to the Beit HaMikdash and you have to bring a korban and sacrifice. So the Torah says, it depends who you are, that will be your prescription. Each person has a different prescription of how they will bring their korban hatat. For example, it says, Im ha-kohen ha-mashiach, what if the kohen gadol sins? What does he have to bring? Comes the Torah and tells you, here is his prescription. Good. Ve'im kol adat Yisrael yishgu. What if the entire nation sins? Special situation where it turns out all of Am Yisrael or the majority sin. What would happen then? How would they bring a korban then? Another prescription. Ve'im nefesh ahat. What if just one Jew, regular Jew sins? Notice, each time it introduces a person or a situation that says im. Of course, it has to be im. Because the word im means if. It could be that a person will never have that situation. So im. If the Kohen Gadol sins. If a regular person sins. If the Jewish people sin. Then the Torah comes to describe the korban of the Melech. The leader of Am Yisrael. Comes the Torah and says, Asher nasi yecheta. Notice the word im is not there. It doesn't say if the king sins, if the leader sins. It says asher. Asher means when. Asher nasi yecheta. When the leader sins. When the leader sins, who says he's innocent? Maybe he won't sin. Why not use the word im? Come Hazal and say something beautiful. But really requires a little bit of study. We'll do it together now. Says the Midrash, Asher. The Torah is hinting here. When it says Asher, instead of im, there's a word that comes from Asher. It's called Ashre. Ashre Yoshbe Betecha. The word ashre, ashre ha'ish. The word ashre means fortunate. Ashre ha'ish. Fortunate is the man. When you look at someone say, B'liyayinara. Wow, ashre. Ashre ha'am shekachalo. Fortunate is this nation. 
What does Ashre have to do with the Melech who sins? Says the Midrash, Ashre Hador, fortunate is the generation, that the leader of this generation is going to bring a korban, hatat. You know, you see a melech in the Beta Megdash, that's a big deal. Imagine you're in the Beta Megdash visiting, all of a sudden the melech walks in. Wow. The melech in the Beta Megdash, what, what are you doing here? What's he doing here, the melech? Is he bringing korban toda, korban of thanks? What's going on? And all of a sudden, he says, no, no. The king is bringing korban hatat. The king sinned. So he's coming to bring a korban. What? The king sinned? Do you know how difficult it is for a king to say, I sinned? And especially publicly in the Beit HaMikdash, you're coming to bring a korban hatat? Everyone's going to know that you sinned. You did something wrong. When was the last time you heard, saw, or even heard about a president of the United States from George Washington till today that got up in front of his nation and said, my dear country, I just want to tell you, I made a mistake. You know the plan that we had that I kept talking about? You know the COVID plan? Or the war plan that we had? It's a mistake. The whole thing's a mistake. You probably never heard it. And my bet is that you'll never hear it. Because it's so hard for a person to get up and say, I made a mistake. It takes a very powerful human being to say that what I did yesterday, and I did it with such excitement, and I was convincing, and I told you, and I said, it was a mistake. What I've been doing for the last week or the last month was a mistake. And if it's a year or two, forget about it. It's a very big mistake. Can't do it. Says the Midrash, Ashre Hador, fortunate is the generation that their king is willing to say publicly, I made a mistake. Notice that it doesn't say fortunate is the king who says I made a mistake. Fortunate is the generation whose leader gets up and says I made a mistake. It sounds like if you live under such leadership, you will be affected by it. There will be an atmosphere in that country 
of emet, of appreciation. Ashre hador, fortunate are those people. And I say to all of you, Ashre, fortunate, habayit. Fortunate is the home where a father or a mother who make a mistake can get up and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Could you do that? Could you reprimand your son for doing something inappropriate? But you didn't do it right. You got angry. You yelled. You said some hurtful words. That's not part of reprimanding. Reprimanding is for him, not for you. It's not because you're angry. That's your problem. Reprimanding is for him because he needs to be shown the right way. But he didn't do it right. Instead of talking to him in a way, it could be even strong. But there's still a certain respect and a certain way to do it. But you went off. I'm sure you've done that. It happens every day in our homes where we just end up saying the wrong things or saying it the wrong way. We do it with our husband. We do it with our wives. We don't necessarily mean to, but we just end up commenting, responding, and we take a stand. And 10 minutes later, we realize that was why I do that. Are you able to get up and say, what I did 10 minutes ago? I'm sorry. It was a mistake. Could you tell your son, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have spoken that way. You were wrong and I had to reprimand you. But I shouldn't have said it the way I did. That was wrong of me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have embarrassed you in front of your brothers and sisters. Yes, you did wrong. I should have done it quietly. Are you able to get up on the table and tell your husband, I was wrong yesterday when I said that or I did this. Remember that? It was a mistake. I'm sorry. Very difficult to do, especially in your own home. Especially you're the leader. You're Mr. Perfect. You're Mrs. Perfect. You, you don't make mistakes. Whatever you do is... Torah Mishamayim. It's perfect. And how could you give off anything but perfection to your children, to your home? And comes the Midrash and says, Ashre, fortunate is the home. That the leaders of the home have such a sense of emet that they're willing to get up and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. 
child could do that too. To their brother, to their sister, to their parents. Mom, remember yesterday I was arguing with you? I was saying, no, no, it has to be, it has to be. I was wrong, I'm sorry. When was the last time a child did that? You probably never heard it. Because it's so hard to do. It's so hard to get up and say, I'm wrong. Tell you how hard it is. This I learned years ago. Even though I'm giving the class today, I learned this years ago. So it was fresh on my mind. I was in Israel with my kids, my family. I don't remember exactly what happened. But I remember that I had to give rebuke to my son. And I a little bit lost it. I said something very sharp, very quick, in front of everybody, about something that he did. And right after I said it, I said, why did I do that? What was the point of that? Why can't I just take it off to the side and tell him something? It wasn't a huge thing. Why did I do that? So now I'm killing myself for doing that. And then I realized I just gave a class. Asher nasi yaheda. And I realized I'm the nasi. In my house, I'm the leader. I'm the king in my house. And I'm thinking, okay. This is a perfect opportunity. I'm going to get up in front of tonight for dinner. I'm going to get up and I'm going to stand up and say, guys, I just want to tell you, remember what daddy did today? Remember what I said? I was wrong. Okay, I'm ready. Now the whole day, I'm struggling. I said, I can't, I can't, no way, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm telling you, it was a battle. I felt like there were two boxers in me. I couldn't do it. So how am I going to say it? I'm going to get in front of all my kids. How embarrassing is that? But you have to do it. You just gave a class on it. See, I'm at a disadvantage. If I give a class, I have to do it. If you listen, you don't have to do it. But if I give it, I'm thinking, I got to do it. I got to do it. I can't do it. It's not going to be out. Now we sit, for, we sit for dinner. This is a real thing. We're sitting for dinner. And like, no one knows what's going on in my mind. I'm like in a different place totally. And I'm like, I gotta do it, I gotta do it. I said, before we ordered the food, it didn't come out. We ordered the food, it didn't come out. We said, Berkat Amazon, it didn't come out. I said, okay, now, that's it. This is it, the moment. I started stuttering because I couldn't talk. Okay, you try. You think it's so easy. You try. Okay, you'll see. And I, I, I didn't say it. I'm like, guys, I want to tell you something. I had to introduce myself. <laughs> I had to, I, I'm going to tell you something. Remember? And I started, started, started talking. It just came out. I'm telling you, I never felt so good in my life. It's a great moment in my family. I really believe it was a great moment. It was a moment, at least for once, 
that the Nasi got up and said, I'm sorry, it was a mistake. Yes, you did wrong. And yes, I had to tell you something, but that wasn't the way. And I'm sorry for that. It's like, wow. Someone heard this last week. I spoke about this. He calls me two days later. He said, Rabbi, you don't know what I did. <laughs> I don't hope he's still married. <laughs> he's like, I heard you talking. And I said, you know what? I have plenty to apologize for, for my kids. He said, there's one thing, something in particular that I know I have to apologize for. He says, here we are at dinner. And he says, I felt exactly what you said. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's so hard. But in the end, he did it. He tells me, I know exactly what you said. What, a, what an unbelievable moment. It's a great moment for yourself and for your family. Ashrei, not the person who admits, for sure. The people who are under you get infected. A child who sees your father or mother develops a sense of emet. Of, it's okay. I could say that I was wrong when I was wrong. That is emet. That brings not only emet into the home, it brings hakarata tov into the home. You might say, what's the connection? It's connected. Modim she brings to modim al. That's the training. I'm sure there's something that you've done in the last 24 hours that you can go home and apologize for. And if there isn't, do something wrong. <laughs> Just so you can apologize. That's part of your training. It's called avera lishma. That's right. It's worth it. Maybe. You have to ask your local rabbi for this one. But it may be worth it just to mess up because you never mess up. But it may be worth it just to mess up so you could say, I admit. It doesn't say ashre. How do I know that? What do I come up with this halakha now? It doesn't say fortunate is the generation whose leader never sins. It sounds like it's even greater to have a leader who sins and admits than to have one who doesn't sin at all. Because something comes along very special with that admitting, that hoda'ah, the purpose of life, like we mentioned last week. What was Moshe Rabbeinu's greatest moment? So we find that the eulogy for Moshe Rabbeinu was said by Hashem himself at the end of the Torah. The last few Pesukim talk about Moshe's accomplishments. It begins, Velo kam navi od ke Never was or will be a prophet like Moshe Rabbeinu and describes his greatness in prophecy. Then it talks about lechol haotot vehamofetim, all the wonders that he did in Egypt to Parot, his servants, his slaves. And then the last pasuk in the Torah, 
Yeah, the eulogy keeps going higher and higher. You start little, big, big, big. We're leading to the top. The strong hand of Moshe Rabbeinu, says Rashi. What is that referring to? That he brought down the Luhot. He brought down the Torah through the tablets and Har Sinai. What an accomplishment. Bringing the Torah to Klal Yisrael. Next, the Pasuk says, what is that? Awesome. Awesome Mora. What happened? Great Mora. Rashim says, Rashim says, Nisim vegevurot shebamidbar hagadol veanora. Miracles and great things that happened in Am Yisrael in 40 years in the desert. We can't imagine. We go to the desert for one day, not even for six hours. We're either freezing if it's nighttime or we're, we can't breathe from the heat. And you have a nation that lived for 40 years. Millions of people with no convenience store, no water supply, nothing in a desert for 40 years. That's awesome. That was Moshe's leadership. And then the Torah ends, Asher Asa Moshe Le'ene Kol Yisrael. That which Moshe did in front of the entire nation, says Rashi. What did he do in front of the entire nation? Says Rashi, that he had the courage. He broke the luhot that Hashem gave him right in front of them. When he came down and he saw what they were doing by the golden calf, he said, these people right now do not deserve these luhot. And Hashem agreed. And he took the luhot and he broke them and he destroyed them. Not knowing if he'll ever get again the luhot. In Hashem's eyes, that was Moshe Rabbeinu's greatest act of his life. That he broke the luhot. What's so great? about breaking the Luhot. Isn't receiving the Luhot greater than breaking them? The answer to this question brought down by Rev. Gifta, is that Moshe Rabbeinu, that was his whole life, his whole investment, all of what he went through, all of what Am Yisrael went through in Egypt, was all a preparation for Matan Torah. And Moshe Rabbeinu went and fought with the angels like the Midrash said. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And finally he brought down the greatest gift to humanity. Moshe Rabbeinu in his own hands. Coming down to give Am Yisrael. This is his greatest moment of his life. It's actually the moment he was working for. For so long. Not only him, the entire nation. From Abraham Avinu Hashem already promised him. And this is it. And he sees that it's not appropriate. And he sees that it's wrong to bring down the Luhat. What would you do if you were invested in something for so long? You were invested in a project for 10 years and you realized, you know what? 
the project is not a good one. It's worthless. Are you willing to turn back? If you're invested in an opinion that you had, and you're speaking about it, and you're teaching about it, and you give all types of great sermons and lectures, and one day you realize, I think it's wrong. Are you able to go back, to turn back the clock, and say, I was wrong? I lived a certain lifestyle. Not only I lived it, I spoke about it. I ridiculed anybody else who didn't live exactly my lifestyle. Am I willing to one day, if I realize that maybe I wasn't so perfect? Am I willing to turn back and to say, I made a mistake? It's a big deal for the greatest accomplishment in human history to bring the Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu to say, you know something? If it's the wrong thing, then it's the wrong thing. I'm willing to give up everything if it's wrong. We have a similar story in the Gemara, famous story about Shimon HaAmsoni. Shimon Amsoni was famous, he was a Tana. He was famous for, he had a theory on the word et. The word et linguistically in the Torah really adds nothing. You could do without it. There's no need for it. For example, when it says, Kabed et avicha ve'et imecha, honor your mother and your father. If it would say, Kabed avicha ve'imecha, it would mean just the same. What does the word et do? The word et says, Shimona Amsoni, has to have a reason. What is it there for? He says, the word et is coming to include something else similar to the subject. So for example, Kabed et avicha ve'et imecha, the word et is coming to include an older sibling. They have to honor him as well. Now how many ets there are in the Torah? There are about 4,000 ets in the Torah. And this man sat down, because if it works in one place, it's got to work in every place. So he's writing down. Each et in the Torah, he's writing down what is the purpose. And he's teaching, not just writing, he's teaching his students. This et is coming for this, and this et's coming for that, and this et's coming for this. And he got, he got them all. Great. He got them all except one. The Pasuk says, Et Adonai Elohecha Tira. That you have to be afraid of Hashem. You have to be in awe of Hashem. It's a commandment in the Torah. To have Yirat Hashem. To be in awe. Like you're standing in something awesome. The most awesome. It says not Hashem Elohecha Tira. 
את השם אלוהים אתם. עושה שמעון העמסוני, the Gemara says, he says, this one, I have no explanation. How can anyone be compared to Hashem? To be in awe of Hashem, what can be similar to that? He told the students, he told the students, I'm done. Take all the notes that you've been learning for the last, I don't know how many years. Take them and put them in Geniza, put them in the garbage. Imagine giving a shiur every day. Every day you come and give shiur, boys, et, et, et. One day, two days, one year, two years, three years. They have a whole sefarim of the ets. 4,000 ets, not like twice. He told them, guys, they're all no good. Because if it doesn't work here, and it clearly doesn't work here, so it's not going to work anywhere. They told him, Amru lo talmidav. They told him, Rebbe, kol itin shedarashta. What's going to be with all your drashot, all your shiurim? We have books on all the ets that you taught us. Amar lahem, he said to them, Keshem shekibalti sachar ala derisha. The same way in Shamaim they gave me reward for teaching and learning and trying to understand what the ets are for. Kach kibalti I'm going to get reward in Shamayim just as much for realizing that it's wrong. So I'll get rewarded just the same. Comes the Gemara in Kiddushin and says, this is what happened. I mean, this, all the books of the Eds were in Geniza. Until Rabbi Akiva came and he says, what's the problem? I know the answer. What do you mean you don't have a answer for the word et? He says, Et Hashem Elohecha Tira Lerabot Talmideh Hachamim. He says, You have to be in awe of Torah scholars. Torah scholars are learning Hashem's Torah, they're supposed to be behaving. Somewhat like Hashem. So if you have a real Talmid Hacham, he's like a miniature Hashem. At least on, in a physical sense. So says Rabbi Akiva, you have to be in awe of Talmid Hachamim. That's what the Etz coming to teach you. Not only Hashem, also Talmid Hachamim. And then the theory was accepted. Everything is great. question on this Gemara is this is what Rav Gift, Gift Allah Shalom asked. He says, I don't understand. This doesn't seem to be a very difficult dirasha to make. That Et Hashem is coming to include those people who are closest to Hashem. Obviously, they're Tamideh HaChamim. Why couldn't Shimon HaAmsoni who is the father of this theory why couldn't he? He did 4,000, he was doing fine. This one he couldn't figure out. 
We could have figured it out. Until Rabbi Akiva came and he told them, this is the pshat. Says I've gifted so beautifully. He says that Shimon Amsani could not imagine who could be in this world even comparable to our Creator. Who that you have to have such awe for such a person? He couldn't imagine it. He knew tell me the hachamim, but he says it can't be. Can't be that we have to give such respect to humans, even if they tell me the hachamim, such awe. Kavod, yes. Honor, yes. But awe. But when Rabbi Akiva saw that Shimon HaAmsoni was willing to take his life work, his life investment, he put his honor on the line and gathered all the students and said, guys, whatever I was teaching you for the last, I don't know how many years, it's wrong. Get rid of it. Erase it. When he saw that a human like Shimona Amsoni can be so honest and so real and so emet, he says, this type of Talmud Hakam, I can understand why you got to be in awe of that person. And that's Moshe Rabbeinu's greatest accomplishment. Because in the accomplishment of a person who's ready to break his life theory, his life work, his life mission, and he's ready to put it away because he knew that the emet was not this way. A person is willing to do that that's the biggest sign of his greatness. That's why all of us could say, Asher Nasi. We are fortunate Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who led our people. And if somebody asked you, what was so special about him? That he was our leader. What made him most special? That he was a man who was so honest and so emet that he was willing to give up everything he worked for because it wasn't right. It wasn't true. I will end off by telling you not only Moshe Rabbeinu, but there have been great people in our history. Who have succeeded because of this Midah of Emet. The Gemara says, why was Bet Hillel Zoche? We know Mahloket, Bet Hillel, Bet Shammai. In many areas in Jewish law. And we know we follow Bet Hillel. Says the Gemara, how can we follow Bet Hillel? What, Bet Shammai were great people as well? Mipene ma zachu Bet Hillel likboa halacha kemotan. What was the merit of Bet Hillel? that they had the halakha following them. Says the Gemara, which means they were very soft, they were humble. Whenever somebody would ask them a question, they would not only bring their opinion, they would bring also Bet opinion. They would say, listen, we say this, Bet says this, 
ולא עוד, says the Gemara, not only that, שמקדימים דברי בית שמאי ודבריהם. First they would say, oh, you want to do on this halacha? Let me tell you what בית שמאי says. בית שמאי says that this is the right way to do it. And they probably even explain them. This is what they meant and this is why. But this is what we think. A person who has such an emet, who's willing to take the other opinion, and not only mention it, but also put it on a pedestal, that person is not only zocher, Hashem rewards him. Okay, halacha is like you. That's not what it means. It means if you have such, a, such an honesty to you, then your opinion has much greater strength because you're willing to look at the other side. You're willing to say, I'm wrong, if indeed you're wrong. You're willing to bring the other side of the picture. You can argue, but you're willing to realize there might be another side. You know, today, one of the probably the most well-known rabbis in the last 150 years is Rav Chaim Salavechik. Allah Shalom. Everyone knows Rav Chaim, the famous Rav Chaim. Today you go into any yeshiva in the world and they're hovering over the words of Rav Chaim Salavechik. But the beginning of his career, we'll call it, in teaching Torah was not so smooth. He was appointed as the Rosh Yeshiva of one of the top yeshivot in Europe, Shiva Valajan. And he happened to marry the granddaughter of the Rosh Yeshiva, the Netziv. So when there was an opening for the head of the yeshiva to give shiurim, they appointed Rav Chaim And the students of the yeshiva were not very receptive. There were all types of words being spoken, you know, because he's the grandson of the Rosh Hashiva, he's married his granddaughter, that's why he should be the giving shiur. He's not worthy of giving shiur. Who says he knows enough to give shiur? Maybe they don't like his shiurim. Maybe they didn't trust in his shiurim. I don't know exactly. But clearly there was a big commotion in the yeshiva where the students were not really accepting him. And at the end of the day, no matter how great you are, if the people who are supposed to be your students don't accept you, en melech belo'am. You can't have a nation, you can't be a king, there's no nation. So you could say I'm king, but there's nobody, you have to have people. So it got so bad, they decided, the only way to solve this, was they're going to bring three gedolim, three gedoleador, three giants of the generation, and they're going to be invited to sit in on a shiur given by Rav Chaim Salavechik to all of the students in the yeshiva. And they will decide after this shiur if he's worthy to be the Rosh Yeshiva to give shiurim or not. Okay. Imagine what kind of shiur he was going to prepare. This is a moment of truth, a moment of his future. And sure enough, the day came. The students were there, the rabbis were there, and he's giving a shiur. He gave an hour shiur on a subject in Masechet Yevamot, on the subject of a woman that's name has a name Ailonit. Ailonit is, is a woman, is an adult woman without certain signs of maturity of a woman. 
There's certain halachot that apply to him. And he brought a Rambam that seems to conflict with the simple understanding of the Gemara. And he gave a whole beautiful shot, explanation, how the Rambam really does fit with the Gemara, because the Rambam really meant like this, and he was saying really that, and he brought all types of... It took him an hour to give the whole Gemara with the Rambam and to answer up how the Rambam is really consistent with the Gemara. is great. An hour passes, and as he's saying over everything, he realizes that he remembers there's a book that Rambam wrote on the Mishnayot. It's not, it's not a book that everyone reads. Perush Rambam al Mishnayot. And he remembers reading the Rambam on this book, on the Mishnayot. And he remembers that the Rambam said exactly opposite of what he was claiming the Rambam meant. So he gave a shi'u for an hour about what the Rambam must have meant and therefore everything is good. And at the end he realizes that the Rambam said in Perusha Mishnayot something totally different. Now I'll be honest, if it was me, nobody knows the Perush Mishnayot of the Rambam. Who, know, who reads the Perush? It's fine. Sitting here. You know how many times I make mistakes in this class? I just keep going. <laughs> nobody knows the difference. It's all good. They tell me, that was unbelievable. It could be the whole thing was wrong. No one knows the difference. If I was Rav Chaim Salavechik, I would not mention that, I, that nobody, it's not like a, a pasuk in the Torah. And the man stands up at the end of his shiur and he says, Rabotai, I shall tell you, whatever I said, I just realized for the last hour, it's all wrong. It's not, it's not true. The Rambam in Perusha Mishnayot says something totally different. I'm sorry. It was all wrong. Forget it. I don't have an answer to Rambam. Can you imagine that? The three Gedolim said, this is the man that needs to be Rosh Hashim. A man who can stand up for an hour and give a whole shi'ur and then say, by the way, I just realized it's wrong. That's a man you could rely on. That's a person you could trust in. We think that we give off this aura that we're supposed to be perfect. And everyone's supposed to think we're perfect. So we're afraid to say we're not perfect. But there's no greater truth and there's no greater opportunity when a person stands up and says, I'm not perfect. And it's okay. Not only it's okay, it's ashre. It's praiseworthy. You're a very special person. If you have the chance to get up and tell somebody dear to you, someone close to you, and say, I was wrong. It'll make you a better wife, a better mother, a better husband, a better rabbi, a better leader, a better melech. Don't be afraid to say the truth. Because once you say the truth, it's not just that moment of truth. You've created an atmosphere of truth, which is the atmosphere needed for Hakaratato. It's one and the same. It's not so easy to do. 
you know, the hardest part of the steps of Teshuvah. What's the hardest part? The Imam says, you have to have vidui. You have to admit that you did wrong. You have to feel bad, regret. And you have to accept upon yourself not to do it again. Most people will tell you vidui is the easiest. So easy. Just say, I did this, I did that, I did this. I admit. Done. But that's not really what vidui is. Vidui is not telling Hashem what you did wrong. Hashem knows what you did. Vidui means I did it. It was my fault. I should have known better. For most of us, vidui is just a list of excuses. I didn't honor my mother, but she's crazy. I didn't honor my father, but he drives me nuts. I didn't do this right to my children, but what should I do with these kids? I get angry, but wouldn't you get angry also the same way? When we read the vidui, everything is, we did but, we did but, we did but, 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 but. Vidui means I take full responsibility. I was wrong. No excuses. That's what made Yehuda great. That's what made David Melech great. David Melech is the author of Tehillim, the greatest book of Hakarat Hatov in history of mankind. And guess what made him special? When he made a mistake, and, and, and Natan came to him and says, David, what did you do? He says, no excuse. Hatati. I made a mistake. He didn't say, but. Oh, but I know it was hard for me. No, Hatati. Don't say, but. That's it. You made a mistake. The same one who made a mistake and admitted it is the same one who read, who, who taught, who taught Sefer Tehillim. Because it's one and the same. It's not easy for us. Subconsciously, we like not to believe it because we want to look perfect. Subconsciously, we don't want to be the recipients of God's charity. It doesn't feel so good. We want to be the self-made man or woman that we are. We don't like it. Subconsciously, it's hovering there. We see that by, by Sarah, by the way. By Sarah, it says, by Sarah Imenu, such a beautiful uh, uh, example. When Hashem told Sarah, or the Malach told Sarah, you're going to have a child. She's 90 years old. The Pasuk says, Vatitzhak Sarah Bekirba. She started laughing inside. She said, after such an age, now I'm going to have a child? No way. Hashem tells Abraham, hey, how come Sarah left? She thinks I can't bring her a child at 90? She has no emunah? She says, when Abraham told her, she denied it. She says, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't laugh. Because she was afraid. He said, you did laugh. What is going on here? Sarai Menu is denying what God said. God told you ledge. I didn't laugh. The Sfat Emet says beautifully. They say in the name of the Sfat Emet. That Sarai Menu left. She left. She thought out of happiness. She didn't realize that subconsciously she really didn't believe. 
And why did she subconsciously believe that she didn't doubt Hashem? How come she believed that she didn't doubt Hashem? Because she looked at herself as a God-fearing Jew. I have emunah. I would doubt Hashem? Never. So in her subconscious, she didn't want to doubt Hashem. And therefore, she believed that she didn't. We have a way of living with denial. So even Sarah didn't know. Bekirba, somewhere deep inside, she had this desire not to believe. Excuse me. She had a desire not to admit that she was not ma'amin the way she thought she was. And that's something we have to deal with all the time. We have to look for the emet in ourselves. The great benefit of emet is emet itself. But today we learned that if you want to train yourself to be makir tov, to have more appreciation in your life and to bring appreciation to the people in your life, like your children, your family, your brothers, your sisters, your students, get up and say it. Get up and say, you know what happened yesterday? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Like I said, I'm sure there are plenty of situations you can apologize for, but perhaps even if you're perfect, like many of us are, there might be a reason to actually do something just so you can get up. When the opportunity is there, and it might be tonight, don't let it go. Grab it. And you'll see tremendous perot. Baruch Allah Amen ve Amen.